Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, tonight, the book of Revelation, session 42, the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. You know what? I thought we were in Revelation. We are. What we're going to do tonight is we are going to look at the mysterious nature of the sixth seal. And I want to tell you that at a first read, uh, even at a second or third read, if you're not referencing, wait, I just have to stop. I want to tell you one of my most favorite parts about the entire Bible. It's alive and it interprets itself. The, the Bible is alive. And so the word of God actually interprets the word of God. So if you want to understand a Bible passage, go find other Bible passages about that same idea and then boom, you'll understand God did that. He wrote that in. It's actually like the easiest way to veil something is go ahead and hide it somewhere else in the same book. It's veiled, but it's not impossible to find, just especially with modern technology and Bible Gateway. You can find it. You just have to be a little hungry, okay? So if you ever find yourself in a passage like, what in the huh am I reading? I don't even know. It's weird. Go and look up the words in that passage, the key words, and find them other places in the Bible, and boom, you'll find your answers. And so that is very much the case about what is going on in Revelation chapter 6 in relationship to the sixth seal that's being released. Now, I want to give you a couple pieces of information here. <clears throat> we are going to look at something that's not at first obvious, but with a little bit of digging, and that's what we're going to do tonight is dig. Uh, we're going to see that this Bible passage here in Revelation 6 is clearly referring to something else. Clearly referring to something else. Second thing I want to say is that uh, we're going to do something a little different tonight because while our focus is a passage in Revelation 6, we're going to spend the whole time talking about not Revelation. We're going to be talking about other Bible passages that help us understand the passage we're trying to understand, Revelation 6. Uh, I believe that what Revelation 6, the sixth seal, I believe that what it's referring to is actually one of the most important moments in human history. I believe it is one of the most important moments in the church's history, and it is one of the most awaited moments in church history. This is a really big moment. And while a bit veiled, it's only a little bit veiled. It's not a lot of bit veiled. And so we're going to look at it tonight. So here we have Revelation 6. 12 through 14, I watched as he, this is the lamb, Jesus, opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red and all the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled back and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now, what, uh, what we're gonna look at here is we're gonna, go back and look at a couple of passages, actually three primary passages that describe this same event. And then we're going to uh, you know, look at some of the language and, and that kind of thing. Um, I just want to say it clearly here. I believe, I mean, emphatically, I, I just, I've been chewing on this for a decade. I believe emphatically, because I believe it doesn't mean you should. My hope tonight is to present it so that you look at it and go, oh, no, I never thought about that before. Let me go see if I believe that. 
That's the point of tonight. Let's go see if you believe that. But I believe emphatically that Revelation chapter 6, the sixth seal, is the fulfillment of the Joel 2.28 outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Okay? So now let's look at it because that's a crazy statement. I, and I also want us to grasp the importance of this event because if that's true, if this really is that, then this is a really, really important moment. Not neat thing to learn that's in Revelation, incredible thing to find out about the future of the church and even within some chronology because the sixth seal happens after the fifth seal, which happens after the fourth seal, which happens before the seventh seal. I mean, you got me? All right, so let's look at it. First of all, the primary historical example... Oh, 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 no, no, I got to touch on the uh, unfulfilled, all right? Um, let's see, clear details about, yeah, yeah, so page one, letter C, clear details about the Joel 2.20, I'm sorry, the Joel 2 promise. In this session, we're going to look at peculiar and specific details that are listed out in the sixth seal and how these overlap and are connected to Joel 2. And... What's not at first clear, I'm hoping we'll be able to see it and get some clarity on. And here's what I'm, I'm going with. This is an important event. It's one that we need to understand because we're going to look at the fact that there are many times in the Bible where a prophecy is given and that prophecy is partially fulfilled in real-time events in the future. I don't know that I can think of any example that's a better example than the Joel 2 prophecy being partly fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Partly fulfilled. So let's look at it. Here we are in Acts 2. So if you guys don't know the Joel 2.28 pro uh, prophecy, it's your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams. That's the prophecy that we're looking at, okay? But here's uh, Peter in Acts chapter 2. And this is the day of Pentecost. I mean, this is the day the Holy Spirit came. This is like a big deal. A giant momentous moment in church history was Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. But Peter gets up and he says, this is what Joel was talking about back in Joel 2.28. And so let's read that. Acts 2, verse 16. Peter. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Same prophecy continues. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We need to take note of missing details. Peter says, this is that which was spoken by Joel. And then Peter points at a bunch of guys speaking in tongues. And he says, this is that. And he doesn't just say, this is that. He then quotes the prophecy. And he lists off a bunch of stuff. He starts with, the Holy Spirit will be poured out. But then he continues with, this is going to be marked by signs and wonders in the sky and on the earth. And then you just kind of imagine everybody going, we sure are excited about all the tongues and what's happening right now. And the Holy Spirit, this is pretty sweet. We're going to have to get back with you on that whole signs and wonders in the sky thing because we're not witnessing that right now. 
So what we're experiencing here is Peter, who knew what he was talking about, gives a clear call back to Joel 2, and he says, this is a fulfillment of what Joel wrote about. But here's what we know. What Joel wrote about, most of the details, most of the details didn't happen on the day of Pentecost and haven't happened since. Most of the details. Now, what that means is uh, Peter was quoting Joel to say, let me explain to you this thing that's happening right now. It's not a random occurrence. It is a down payment. It is a partial fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy, but it is not the fullness of that prophecy. I actually think that's the reason that Peter gave the whole prophecy instead of just quoting the verse about the spirit being poured out. I think the reason he gave the whole context is he understood. Maybe he was even thinking the rest of these things are going to happen tomorrow. That's possible. We've all been there before, right? We're prophesying and we got a little bit of something on the now moment and we're getting a little bit of extra and we're thinking that probably happens tomorrow and it's 20 years later. I know I've been there. So I think that Peter was giving this because he understood what you're experiencing right now is part of what was prophesied by Joel. But I'm going to tell you everything Joel prophesied because we're not seeing those things right now. To specifically give you the details here, the reason I think this is important is we want to take the missing details seriously so we can rightly interpret Joel 2, so we can rightly interpret Acts 2, and we can rightly anticipate the future. That's the reason I think the details matter. So details not met. I just want to go one, two, three, give it really clear. Bottom of page two. Details Joel said would happen that Peter said, this is a down payment, that's my word, down payment of the prophetic fulfillment that did not happen on the day of Pentecost or in the time after. The spirit was not poured out on all people. There were no signs or no wonders in the heavens above. There were no signs on the earth below. There was no blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun was not turned to darkness. The moon did not turn to blood. I mean, it's really clear. <laughs> Those things did not happen on the day of Pentecost. So what does that mean? This is a primary interpretive key for end time prophecy. If this is something that you don't have hardwired into you, I want to invite you tonight to understand this biblical principle because it will help make so much make sense. And that's the following. When Bible prophecy hasn't been fulfilled, it means it still has to be fulfilled. It's really simple. But it's, it's a profound uh, thought process because, again, there's so many different camps out there related to Bible prophecy that try to bend it or make it. God doesn't need any help. He really doesn't. If, if God told Moses, Moses prophesy that I'm going to turn the sea to blood or I'm going to turn the water to blood. God doesn't need any help and like red dust in the water. It turned to yucky blood. Okay, if God says blood, blood, he doesn't need any help. So he didn't need any help back in Egypt. He doesn't need any help now. If he wrote it, it's real. If it hasn't happened, it still has to. That's a very important biblical interpretive key, specifically related to the end times, because I believe that you could actually, I mean, well, this part's true. You could go in and write out all the different Bible prophecies and the majority of them haven't happened yet. The majority. <laughs> That's, that's crazy. 
It just so happens the majority of the Bible prophecies are reserved for a single generation. It's a generation that is the loud kaboom moment. Jesus is coming on the tail end of it. It's the final generation. It's the end times. The majority of Bible prophecy hasn't been fulfilled yet. And it will be in the generation that the Lord returns. Super important uh, interpretive key. All right, let's now look at Joel 2. So we just read the Acts 2 account, and it's Peter quoting, and he's not, he's not using a direct quote. He's actually, he's paraphrasing some. He's, he's direct quoting parts of the, the Joel 2 pro, uh, prophecy. But let's go look at the Joel 2 prophecy. Here it is, middle of page 3. Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is a promise that and in this terminology, and afterwards, or in the latter days, or, or at that time, those are phrases that are referring to the end times. This Joel 2 prophecy was always an end times prophecy. Always. So here it is. I will pour it out in those days. I'll pour out my spirit in those days in the most profound way that's ever happened. Same prophecy. Next breath. Next line. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. These things will occur before the coming of the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord happens after these things. Does it happen the next day? Oh, does it happen a week later? Mm. A month, a year? It happens after. The day of the Lord, the coming of Jesus in the sky happens after, very clearly. So this is a, a very important context. Here's what Joel says. Joel says the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is one of many signs that will occur in a cluster. He says, I'm going to tell you a bunch of things that are going to happen in the end times. The Holy Spirit's going to be poured out. The sun's going to turn uh, to darkness. The moon's going to turn to blood. There's going to be this. There's going to be that. He lists off, Joel lists off a bunch of prophecies, a bunch of signs that will precede the coming of Jesus in the sky. Now, when Joel prophesied this, I don't think Joel had a clue that Acts 2 was coming. I think Joel is straight up prophesying about the end of the age. He's in eschatology mode. He is preaching about the end of the age, and he's saying, this is going to happen, this is going to happen, and he lists these signs together, and the same, in the same emphasis that he's listing, the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he's listing blood, billows of smoke, fire, moon, sun, problems, okay? He's putting all those together as signs in a clump. Those are part of the signs of the times because they are signs that precede his coming. Second point, much of the church right now is waiting for a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Much of the church has rightly interpreted Acts 2, the day of Pentecost. Much of the church has rightly interpreted the day of Pentecost as a down payment and not the fullness. Because there's, there's some all words in there that never happened. There's some all the sons and daughters in the kingdom of God. Well, that's... And that happened. And so there's a, a good portion of the church that's awaiting the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But I think one of the, uh, the, de the details that's different here, I don't know that a majority of the church is looking for the fulfillment of that great outpouring in the context that Joel gave it in. Joel gave it in, these signs will happen at the end of the age. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit, blood, fire, smoke, sun, moon. You got me? 
So while the church is waiting for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I think we have unintentionally separated these two things, but they're not separate. Joel put them together. Joel prophesied these things are coming and it's all a package deal in a generation, in a, in a period of time right before the second coming. So while we're waiting for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we want to be waiting for it biblically. We want to wait for it in the context of what is written that we've got right in front of us. Another point that I am in love with this point, the day of Pentecost, we all like the day of Pentecost, day of the Holy Spirit came, sons and daughters were prophesying, that really happened, tongues of fire, I mean it's a beautiful day, baptism of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost was preceded by obedience of continual prayer, the day of Pentecost happened after the following verses happened, top of page four. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.14, a few verses later. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So I want to make sure we got this. The day of Pentecost, this highly celebrated, remembered day in church history where the spirit was poured out, where there was a down payment of Joel 2.28, and it happened, it was preceded by continual corporate prayer of the saints. You tracking? Okay. Well, let's see what Jesus says happens when his believers pray night and day. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see to it that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, remember these signs precede the coming of the Son of Man. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I think what's going to usher in the end time outpouring of the Holy Spirit is the exact same thing that ushered in the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in Joel's day, or in, uh, in Acts 2. And that is continual prayer and worship. I want to point to the reality of day and night corporate prayer and worship ushering in speedy justice. When the church gets baptized with the Holy Spirit in the way Joel 2 says the church is going to get baptized with the Holy Spirit. I am grateful for the baptism we've ex experienced. I am grateful for the, the experience that we have with the Holy Spirit right now. But Joel 2 hasn't happened yet. When the church experiences the fullness of what Joel 2 describes, that outpouring, the church is going to be on fire. And when that happens, the church will experience the greatest measure of justice that the church has ever seen. I want to remind you of this. Right now, we're talking about, again, we're coming at it from a side angle. We'll circle back. Right now, we're actually talking about the sixth seal, which is followed by the fifth seal, where the martyrs cried out, how long till you give us justice? And then the sixth seal, connected back to this very point of justice, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which comes through day and night prayer, which the, Holy, the church is going to be operating in the reality of day and night prayer as our way of life. You remember in, in the session we talked about all the martyrdom in seal five? When the church is being martyred everywhere, the concept of being together in close quarters, praying night and day is going to make so much sense and not be a burden. We're going to have so much less to do. There's so many 
fewer safe places to go to. In fact, before we go out and try to get any manna, we'd better all pray and seek the Lord for quite a while in a room before anybody is even sent out because we need to pray somehow that they're walking in the cloak of invisibility so that no one martyrs them on the way to wherever it is they're going to get food for us. Night and day prayer is going to become the normal expression of Christianity. And then the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out on that church. At which point the church will operate in the greatest level of anointing and authority that we have ever experienced in the history of the church. This is a really big deal. Well, and look what happens. I love this fact. Joel 2, verse 32. We just read uh, 28 through 31. But look what it says, the very last part of the Joel 2, 28 prophecy. This is beautiful. Joel 2, 32. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why is the subject of salvation wrapped up into the Joel 2.28 promise that starts with prophecy, moves to signs and wonders, but it ends in the gospel going forth? Because when the church is baptized with power and we're operating in dreams and visions and we'll actually know what day the sun and the moon are going to start acting funny, we're going to be able to call that out to the lost masses and many will see the sign in the sky and will have heard what the prophet said, and this time the prophet is you, not Joel or Peter, will have heard what the prophet said and will be soft in heart, ready to give their lives to the Lord. Oh yeah, also, you'll be baptized with the Spirit in the most power that's ever been imagined on the church, healing the sick, raising the dead, doing signs and wonders all over the place. That's why Joel 2 Verse 32 says, oh yeah, let me give you a little, little snippet, little window into your future. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord in that hour, they'll be saved. Because the subject of the great harvest is wrapped all up into the great tribulation, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and the persecution on the church. There will be more souls brought in than at any time in human history. Hang on just a second. Okay. Um, all right. Good. Amen? Good. All right. So, fulfilling the Joel 2.28 prophecy. Let's look at this now. This is part four. All right? We'll spend a little bit, a few more minutes on this, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap up and we'll do our groups. All right. Joel 2.28. I want to look at this. I want to look at not the 28 part. I want to look at the... Uh, the 30 through 31. Joel 2, 28 and 29 is the spirit will be poured out and everybody's going to prophesy. Joel 2, 30, the very next verse, and 31 is all about the specific signs that are going to occur in conjunction with the Holy Spirit being poured out. You tracking with me? All right. Let me read Joel 2, 30 through 31. I will show wonders in the heavens on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's Joel 2, 30 through 31. But now let me reread Revelation chapter 6, the sixth seal. Let me reread it. It's at the top of page 5. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. 
The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And, all the, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as fig, uh, figs dropped from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Let me tell you what's happening here. We're seeing a direct overlap of Joel 2, verse 30 and 31. Let me give you the line upon line. A great earthquake in Revelation 6, wonders on the earth, Joel 2. Mountains and islands moved, Revelation 6, wonders on the earth, Joel 2. Stars fell to the earth, Revelation 6, wonders in the heavens, Joel 2. Heavens receding like a scroll, Revelation 6, wonders in the heavens, Joel 2. Sun turned black, Revelation 6, sun turned to darkness, Joel 2. Moon turned blood red, Revelation 6, moon turned to blood, Joel 2. Are you seeing it? It's super clear. I mean, it's, it's like abundantly super over the top, so clear. But here's the thing. This hasn't happened yet. And it's in conjunction with the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit because that's the Joel 2 prophecy. The Joel 2 prophecy is about actually, really, it's about the great harvest at the end of the age. It's about the Holy Spirit empowering the church and about the signs and wonders being visual aids for the lost world to go, whoa, dang, we in trouble. And then the church to be able to step in with the signs, the wonders, prophetic clarity, and night and day prayer to call the lost world into the kingdom. That's what's actually occurring here. So now think about what's going on here in Revelation chapter 6. First seal, second seal, third seal, fourth seal. I'm telling you this. When we're in the sealed judgments, we are going to be rubbing our hands in great anticipation for the sixth seal to get busted open because we are all going to be praying in tongues. I mean, Joel's, Joel, uh, when, it, when Revelation chapter 6 happens and the great outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I'm just saying this. If the day of Pentecost was a down payment, what is going to happen when the fullness of the Holy Spirit gets poured out? I also want to take a sidestep. What's prophecy for? Why does God give dreams and visions? Why do we have dreams and visions? What is the purpose of that? It's to help us know the future. It's also to inform us for intercession. The reason that dreams and visions are highlighted related to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the context of the end times is because the church will need prophetic clarity about tomorrow as at no time in the history of mankind. The church will need to know what's happening tomorrow. So we're going to go to sleep and 10 out of 12 are going to have the same dream. And the dream is going to be about what happens next week. And then the church is going to know how to pray how to prophesy, how to posture our hearts, and what streets to not go down. The church is going to be operating in the greatest measure of prophetic clarity because that's what dreams and visions do. The church is going to be empowered in that so that we can actually be victorious. The concept that the church is going to get raptured before the greatest, most glorious, victor victorious moment of the church's future reality, it's crazy. We're going to get to be the powerhouse in the midst of the, of the global crisis. We're going to get to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We're going to be operating in signs and wonders and calling out, oh, yeah, by the way, tomorrow, moon, blood, watch me, boy. And then the moon turns the blood tomorrow. And we called it ahead of time because 27 of us had the same dream last night. 
I'm telling you, the church is going to walk in the greatest measure of victory we can possibly imagine. We do not need to be afraid of the future. We march triumphantly forward, but it doesn't mean that a bunch of us won't get murdered along the way. Because we will. The reason that this Bible prophecy is repeated here in Revelation chapter 6 is because when Revelation chapter 6 was written, call it whatever, you know, 60 years, I don't know the time frame, but something like that, 50, 60 years after Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost. But the reason that John is writing it in the book of Revelation in, you know, call it AD 90, somewhere around there, the reason is it hadn't happened yet. And he's quoting Joel 2, okay? This is also what Jesus said was gonna happen. If you're familiar with Matthew 24, it's the same stuff. Jesus says this, immediately after the distress of those days, the distress of those days, by the way, is referring to the birth pangs and then the great tribulation period, pieces of the great tribulation period. He says, immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken, signs in the heavens. It's exactly what Joel said. It's exactly what we read about in uh, Revelation chapter 6, the sixth seal. It's the same thing. We need to be connecting these passages because they're not random. Oh, that's neat. It kind of says the same thing. It says the exact same thing from multiple different authors because it's describing a future moment in church history. I want you to think of it that way. A documented upgrade moment for the church in church history. We're going to be talking about it for billions of years. You remember you remember Joel 228? Man, that was a wild week. Where, where were you? Where were you? Well, I was running away from this guy who was trying to kill me, and all of a sudden, boom, I got empowered. I turned around and said, in the name of Jesus. He fell down. He gave his life to Jesus. His whole family got saved. It was awesome. And then I was like, hey, just for extra, I was like, hey, the blood, the moon started a blood tomorrow. And he got all his family together. They all got saved. The neighbors, they couldn't believe it because the moon turned to blood. Who's seen that happen before? We're going to be talking about the uh, the real, the full, and I don't want to downplay the partial fulfillment of Joel 2. Acts 2 was important, but it wasn't fullness. And when we experience the fullness of Joel 2, it's going to be a party all the way around. This is what Joel promised. Joel saw in part, I don't think, just personally, I don't think that Joel had revelation that we were going to call Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, the fulfillment of his prophecy. I don't think that he was thinking that because he was clearly prophesying about the end times, okay? And I think that Peter rightly took biblical information, a Bible prophecy, and understood we're in a moment of partial fulfillment. But you experience moments of partial fulfillment all the time. That doesn't mean it's the fullness fulfillment, okay? God has marked moments for the fulfillment of his purposes. There were even types of Christ in the Old Testament, but it wasn't the fulfillment of the Messiah coming. But it definitely had some pieces parts where you're like, hey, this is, this is related to that Bible passage for sure. This guy is operating in some things that are absolutely messianic in quality. There are some pieces of it, but it wasn't the Messiah coming. All right. The unfulfilled part of this prophecy is still coming, and I think that's really exciting. Okay, so we're going to go into our time of uh, Q&A, and I'll do my best to repeat the questions so that we can get those recorded for those that are uh, watching uh, online uh, or who listen to this later. Um, did you guys have one? Yeah, I'm ready.
Hey, if you guys can, let's let's wrap up the conversation so we can go into our time of Q and A here. Okay. So the question is, uh, in the Revelation six passage, it doesn't bring up the part of the prophecy from Joel two about the Holy Spirit. So how does that work? Uh, first part of the question. Then second, could it be part of the seventh seal? Because uh, there, Luke's bringing up the point that it seems like there might be some similarities there. First thing I'd say, um, when in Acts chapter 2, the, the part of the prophecy, uh, a part of the prophecy was being fulfilled and part of it wasn't, and the whole thing was quoted. Here in Revelation chapter 6, the prophecy is being fulfilled, but it doesn't necessarily have to list out all those pieces of the prophecy for this to be the fulfillment of it because the, the prophecy from Joel 2, the significant chunk of it has not had any expression of fulfillment, but we're seeing it here in Revelation chapter 6. So whether it quotes all the details or only 30% of the details, we're looking at a fulfillment in Revelation 6 of a prophecy that was listed in Joel chapter 2. Second question, piece of it. What about the, uh, the um, fire from the altar being thrown to the earth uh, that we see in Revelation chapter 8, which is the seventh seal? I'm going to pause on that one and not answer because we're going to do a whole session about the seventh seal. And, uh, and while I can see why those similarities could be you know, seen there, and maybe it is, I think that the point of the seventh seal is actually a uh, related but different purpose. At some point, we're going to tie together the fifth, the sixth, and the seventh seal because all three of them are about the prayer movement. And, uh, and I think we've actually got a session slated to wrap those up, but we'll have to do the session on the seventh seal first. So rather than give away uh, uh, those uh, points, I'm going to wait on that one. And, and you can even re-ask the question then uh, and kind of tie those things back together. Um, okay, Andy. I'm not real sure I understand the question. Um, are you asking... Uh, because the Joel passage prophesies blood, fire, and billows of smoke, how will blood show up in the uh, Revelation chapter 6 moment, more or less? And relating that back to, could it look something like what was going on in Exodus chapter 6 with the plague of blood? Yeah, so in Exodus chapter 6, the plague of blood, it's interesting, it was mostly focused on drink and bathe and on an exposure. It doesn't actually mention anything about rain. It doesn't mention anything about the, you know, we're made up of what percentage of water, you know, like 90% or something, we're made of water. It, it's not 70. So it's not, it's not referring to that. It was actually referring to the disgusto factor. It's like the water wasn't water. It was blood and you couldn't drink it. It kept bringing up the point about not being able to drink the water. So I think that, that a big piece of what we were seeing in Exodus chapter, what, 7? In Exodus 7 was actually similar. So I, I appreciate the, the lead and the, the, the underhand softball pitch here. Uh, is that what was happening in Exodus 7 was blood was being used as a sign and was a, a problematic issue 
that was supposed to be drawing attention to the sovereign God who's in charge, who used his prophet to prophesy this blood problem ahead of time. So in, in like order, when blood is one of the signs related to Revelation chapter 6, which is the fullness of, the, of, of Joel 2, which men, mentions the blood, fire, and billows of smoke, I think it very well could be those kinds of things. But I think that it's actually going to be more localized. Like one town the prophets are getting, this is just my opinion, by the way, one town the prophets are getting all these dreams about blood tomorrow. But a different town, all these prophets are getting prophecies about billows of smoke in weird ways tomorrow. And another town, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's uh, fire. So when you put it all together, and then maybe it switches a week later, you know. But I think that it's actually going to be more localized as opposed to tomorrow is going to be blood, fire, and billows of smoke. I think there's actually going to be signs that are specific enough that the prophecy actually matters. So that the prophets are going to go, hey, tomorrow the Trinity River is going to turn to blood. And we all got the same dream. It's Trinity River tomorrow. Well, now you just localized a judgment related to blood that now everybody, when the Trinity River turns to blood tomorrow, again, I'm making this up, as the Trinity River turns to blood tomorrow, everybody is localized paying attention to that. But that's not going to have so much impact, you know, three states over that the Trinity River turned to blood. So I think there's going to be implications of the church operating under the spirit in conjunction with the purposes of God for there to be Lots and lots of expressions, varied expressions of blood, fire, billows of smoke in ways that the prophets set ahead of time in order to actually draw attention to very real signs that are unmistakable, that are localized so that they can be paid attention to. So that's how I'm seeing that playing out. And I might be wrong, um, but uh, I appreciate the question. Uh, Caitlin. So, again, uh, the question was really kind of going back to the, the Joel 2 sci uh, prophecy poured out aspect not found specifically in Revelation chapter 6. And I, I really do want to defer on that one because when we look at the 5th, 6th, and 7th seal together, I think it paints a very clear picture of what's happening. But, but in order to get that clear picture... We still have to do the seventh seal. So I want to wait to answer those nuanced questions until after we finish the seventh seal. And then we're going to have a session talking about how those three seals together are actually the three significant upgrade moments for the prayer movement at the end of the age and, and how those all relate. So I will answer it, but not right now. Um, next question. Uh, Luke, over here. Man, this is fun. Okay. First question uh, was... The word stars in Revelation chapter 6, what are those stars? The Greek word is asters. Asters can refer to anything that's up that could come through the atmosphere. It could refer to stars. It could refer to planets. It could refer, refer to, to asteroids, meteors. It can refer to any of those things. Now, if you just think about ancient, you know, uh, understanding, they looked up. They had no idea that a star was a giant burning ball of gas. So when they looked up, they're just like, you know, the up stuff, asters. And then they would see what they would say. And I don't know that this was a Greek thought, but the thought process of a shooting star was actually part of like 
learned thinking. It was like something just came through the atmosphere from up. It must be a shooting star. It was like one of those stars fell. So the reason that all that matters is the Greek word is asters. Asters can refer to a lot of things, not only to physical stars as you and I in our current educational you know, capacities understand what a star is. So, uh, so when it says asters are going to come through the sky, what is all that? I, it could just be as simple as a crazy meteor shower, uh, but maybe one that's like worth putting in the Bible. <laughs> you know, I mean, don't forget that part. It's a prophecy. It's a sign. So it's not going to be a small deal. Um, so uh, if any physical star that we would identify as a star, a sun out there, came to the earth, there would be no earth. So it can't be a physical star as you and I understand the word star. But there's a lot of room within the word aster, which is the Greek word. There's a lot of room within aster of stuff from up coming and hitting the planet. And that's, I think, what we're looking at there. Second question you had was, I just, I am so, I can't be more excited about the next session that we're going to do that's entirely about the verse, the sky receded like a scroll. We're going to spend a whole session because the implications of what is occurring there and then what will continue to occur until the second coming is one of the most profound components of the book of Revelation, in my opinion. So we're going to spend a whole session on that. Uh, yes, there. Question. So I'll just give you the, this related to the, the, the sky receding like a scroll. Whatever that equals causes the strongest, most powerful military leaders and governmental leaders on the planet to run away scared. And they have a revelation of Jesus because they're looking at him. So I'll just leave it at that because that is a profound thought. Worship leader, if you can come on up wherever you might be. Um, so good job, guys. Good, good questions, good processing. Here, I just want to remind us of this in this study of Revelation that we're doing. I'm, uh, it's actually better, in my opinion, when we wind up needing to do a whole session on a verse. Because then we can start to unpack it a little bit, tie it in with some other references and get a little bit of understanding. So that's the reason we're going as slow as is needed through this, uh, uh, through this um, uh, series. Because I want for us to get some understanding, because here's my real hope. My real hope is there's a, con uh, there's a core of people going through this study with us that are going to go through the whole study, or at least most of the study. And when I say the whole study, I don't mean you were here flawlessly every single week, but I mean you were here for most of it. And that there's a time coming when you're going to go back and read the book of Revelation, and you are going to see it with complete different eyes than how you saw it before when you were just reading through. And so my hope is that we have these aha moments and that these are actually markers so that you're going, oh, I remember this. It's, we're here we are again, Revelation 6, verse 12. Okay, we're back in the Joel 2 thing <clears throat> that you're, you know, making notes and you're, <clears throat> you're paying attention so that the next time you read Revelation chapter 6, you read it different, that you read it with insight and Revelation 7 and 8 and 20. So that's my hope. Father, we ask. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, 
please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.